Howdy, howdy, and thanks for tuning into episode 66 of the Eyes for Esports podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on this episode, our guest is a gentleman from the great state of New York who is a visually impaired martial artist and also runs an amazing nonprofit organization that provides a huge variety of sports and recreation to the blind and visually impaired. So let's go ahead and get rolling now with episode 66. All right, so my guest here on this episode of the podcast is Sensei Devin Fernandez, and Devin is a visually impaired martial artist and also has an awesome organization uh, in New York specifically for blind and visually impaired people interested in sports and recreation. Devin, welcome to the podcast. Well, good morning, and thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. Really excited about this conversation, and I know we did connect the other day, and I know you just have... Uh, quite a background, so really excited to dive into that and speak about your organization as well. Sounds great. So first off, Devin, let's just start kind of from the beginning here. Just talk to me about where you were born and grew up in your your formative years. I'm um, I'm originally uh, I'm originally I'm from New York. I was born in Manhattan. Uh, was raised in the Bronx until the age of uh, 13, 14 years old when uh, my parents moved out to Long Island. It's um, myself and my three sisters. And uh, so we, we purchased a home out in Long Island and uh, went to school here on Long Island in, in West Islip. And uh, I did, uh, when I was in, in, I went to Catholic school in, in New York City. And in eighth grade, when you're in Catholic school, you move up to high school. But out here on the island, high school didn't move up until after ninth grade. So I went back into junior high at ninth grade and then 10th grade, Went to the uh, high school. That's where I met my wife. We dated on and off for, for several years. And then we finally married in, in 81. Yep. And um, yeah. And then uh, what do you call it? You know, we, we did the, the, the played the family, you know, card uh, ever since. And we, you know, we're still married and we have two beautiful boys. And my oldest has a, a beautiful daughter you know the angel of our eyes actually uh, <laughs> nice. yep. she's an angel in eyes but she's really uh, you know very active very you know uh strong-minded and you know it's got a beautiful personality and a great imagination too and uh, and my youngest son who's also um you know does very well for himself he's a uh web designer and um yeah he's single still and uh yeah and i'm very proud of both both my boys actually my wife and i are both very proud of our boys nice very cool and then just a little more on your childhood as far as sports that you played growing up just talk to me about your interest in sports and anything that you might have participated in early on as I was growing up, I was always active. I was always uh, interested in sports. We, uh, in the city, we used to, you know, uh, I don't know if they still even do these games anymore. We used to play stickball and do all the, the, the games that all the kids used to do because I lived in the project. So after, uh, after you came home from school, everybody ran downstairs. We all hung out in the playground. So we played uh, Skelzy, which was a checker game that uh, it's a, a checkerboard's uh, painted onto the floor. And then you used to take the shaving cream caps <laughs> and put, push the uh, clay inside of them. And mm-hmm. they used to glide so well. Uh, we used to play tops. I don't know if uh, any people remember, you know, you used to wrap a, a string around the top and then you, you know, throw it out there and then it spins. You could pick it up on your hand and you used to, uh, we made a game out of it where you could, 
hit somebody else's top and knock them out of the center. And, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. And then, uh, we, you know, like I said, we did the stick ball, we did the baseball, I had a baseball field right in front of my, my front window. I lived on the third floor and we used to be able to just look out the window and watch the games in the little leagues. And oh, cool. yeah. So every, every time they weren't using the field, we have to sneak into the field to play. <laughs> so, you know, they yep. would chain the gate and we climb over and, you know, play and then we get chased away at times. But most of the time they left us alone because we were just playing ball. You know, we weren't damaging anything and the bleachers or anything like that. So we were left alone. And then I also played uh, basketball, quite a bit of basketball. I used to go down to the courts every, you know, after school when whatever sport wasn't in, was in season, that's the sport we were playing. And then the same thing with the football and we used to play, you know, tackle and touch football and um, so, yeah, so I, I, I grew up um, being involved in sports uh, my, my entire life. Uh, and when I came out to Long Island, it was no different. I was playing handball at the time. So we used to, you know, have some really intense games and uh, stuck with baseball and, and uh, basketball was really big. I was on the freshman basketball team in high school, which was, uh, which was really excellent. And then um, I always had an interest in the martial arts. Uh, since I, I, I grew up, since I uh, grew up in the city, but never really uh, joined any programs or anything like that. I did a community program in the city, a karate program. And, and then when I came out here, one of our family friends was a, a narcotics cop and he was taking a judo jujitsu and he taught us in his home out in Bayshore. So I kind of just dabbled in it until later on down the road. My nephew was involved in a um, martial arts program, Nimpo Ninjutsu, and I decided, you know what, I want to get my son involved as well. Mm -hmm. So the two of us joined together, and I figured I'll, I'm going to join with him to get him interested, and then I'll bail out after, you know, after the contract's over, I'll just, you know, bail out. But it didn't work out that way. I, I loved it so much. I stuck with it. Now I'm there <laughs> 22 <laughs> years, you know, uh, yep. and eventually my, my son bailed out. Um, he, he didn't he didn't like it. So he got up to like a purple belt, which is like uh, four, four ranking belts, five ranking belts from the beginner, which is about two years, maybe three years of training. And then I got my youngest son involved in it as well. And, uh, and he did the same thing. He, he got in it for a while and then. He just didn't like it. And um, so I, I, you know, I allowed them to to back out of it. You know, my, my, my philosophy is that I don't want to force anything on on my children, especially if they're not interested. Right. And, and you know, the philosophy is don't let the kids quit. Don't let the kids quit. And and that's great philosophy. But, you know, if you if you you have a child, let's say child's in ballet, and you just don't like it. What are you going to do? Make them stay in the ballet until they become a ballerina? You know, uh, you know, and, yep. and the kids hating, hating it every time he goes to class, he's just and, and he hates that he has to go. And, you know, it, it that doesn't make any sense to me. So, yeah. So I allowed them to, to bail out. And then uh, during this, this whole time, my career had initially been in electronics. So I went to school to Farmingdale College for uh, electronics. I went to uh, DeVry uh, Institute in Arizona for electronics. Hmm. And then when I came out of DeVry, I started uh, with a, uh, a security company, alarm company, which is uh, was all low voltage and um, which launched my career. And I was in 81. And then by 84, I started my own security business uh, and have had that since. So we um, 
what do you call it? We were able to, 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 you know, support our family with, with that. And, and during that career, I also was an electrician. So I, I worked for a commercial uh, electrician um, and we would do commercial buildings. So we go in the building and from the beginning, uh, nobody's in the building except us. The, you know, the building's just framed and now we got to go in, run wiring and uh, right. then the carpenters and, and so forth would come in and, and put up the walls and then we run, you know, the electric for that. And I, I really, really enjoyed that kind of work, you know, hands-on building. And at the time it was one of the, the statement was like, we're building America. You know, you probably heard that. <laughs> um, sure. And we were, you know, we were the... Um, commercial industry was booming here on Long Island. So there was no lack of work. So we would go from job to job, building the building, we do renovations, we do new installs and everything from putting the transformer out in the street to running the wires from the transformer into the building and, and then from inside the building throughout the building, you know? So, um, you know, I, like I said, I truly enjoyed that kind of work. It was interesting. It was a lot to learn. It was it was just a great experience. And, and, you know, the people I worked with were just fantastic. The guys I worked with, most of us were all in the same boat. We're all young. We're all real, you know, ready and willing to, to do stuff that um, we certainly wouldn't do now. You know? Right. Uh, uh, you know, because we were young. We, I'll do that. Let me do that. And, and, and now yeah. you think of it, I was crazy. I shouldn't have never did that. But, <laughs> you know, we used to work a lot of um, circuits when they were live. And, um, you know, I, I got blasted a few times, you know, and, and it always makes you, you know, nervous, like, oh, shoot, I got to make sure, you know, I don't touch this. I don't touch that. And, right. and, and so forth. And then during that career, during that time, what happened was I was working on a, um, a building in, in Hempstead, which is Nassau County. We were modifying the building for BOCES program. So I was in the basement. We were, we were finishing up for the day. And uh, the the, manage, uh, the the mechanic or the lead mechanic on the job had to we had to modify a 480 volt panel uh, with it, with it being live. So the guy showed me how to do it. He goes, "Look, you just do this, bah bah." He did the first couple. I said, ah, psh, "Easy enough, I'll do that." I started doing it, boom boom boom. About three or four steps into it, I slipped into the panel. And my screwdriver shorted the hot bus and ground mm. and then blew up. Wow. So uh, the panel blew up in my face. Uh, it was in September. I had a sweatshirt on. It was pushed up to my forearms. Everything that was exposed was burnt. So mm. all, all, all the skin on my arms was burnt. My hands were burnt. My face, it took all the skin off my face, all my hair. Uh, I was The blast was so strong that it knocked me back you know, off my feet, actually, you know, about four or five feet, uh, I landed now because of the short in the circuit, it knocked out the three-story building. Right. So now everything is sparking and, and burning and, and I, I fall down. I, I, I finally, I guess, regained my consciousness. It was seconds. It wasn't, you know, it was just like more of a shot that I was hit and knocked over. Uh, and I couldn't see. And I was like, oh, no, 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 not my eyes, not my eyes. Hmm. Uh, and then I, from memory, I crawled out of the room. And I crawled out of the room. And as I crawled around the, the corner, because we were in the basement, somebody, a gentleman that was working in that room with me, had actually leaped over me when this happened and just ran out of the building. You know, he didn't even stick around to see how I was. Jeez. He just he just fled. He was gone. Yep. Uh, and he left the back door open. So when I 
went around the corner. I saw the back door. I was like, oh, thank God I could see. And I looked down and my hands were like burnt chicken. I mean, the skin mm. was just crusty, peeling. It was, and then I went into shock. Um, so every few seconds, I, my body would shake like a leaf and the pain would be so intense. And then all of a sudden it would stop. Um, and I went outside into the street because I had to get out of the building. The place was full of smoke. Got out of the building and there was a, uh, a meter maid, a, a patrol officer there. And, you know, she kept me calm. She kept me seated because I, I just wanted to jump up and move. And she said, no, 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 you know, stay here, stay, stay. Finally, the ambulance comes. They pick me up. They take me to the hospital and uh, they put me in, into an induced coma. Um, because of the, of the pain and the severeness of the burns. Sure. I stayed in uh, the, the trauma center there for, I guess it was 16 days, uh, in which time they they had to take skin from my legs to replace the skin that was burnt off my hands. And then uh, they, they sent me home uh, with, with these form-fitting gloves for, for burn victims. And the, it's a tight-fitting glove that uh, is used for compression, so that's to stop your skin from wel uh, welding up or, you know, um, lumping up and uh, causing welts. That's the word. Um, so that, you know, that that was I had to be in those gloves for two years. And uh, the only thing that was exposed was the fingertips. So wow. everything else was was covered. Uh, and at the same time, my wife was eight months pregnant when this happened. So I came home from the hospital two weeks later Two weeks after that, my first son was born. So, um, you know, it was, it was a bit uh, traumatic for my wife. Here it is that she's just had a baby. She's dealing with a newborn baby. And then she's dealing with me as well right. you know, to, to, to help me. And, and I was only able to take those gloves off for an hour a day. And that was to, to bathe and shower and, and to clean the wounds. And then I had to treat my hands and put the gloves back on. So, you know, we, we ended up getting through that. And, uh, and and that was fine. Now, uh, fast forward uh, about 10 years later, I started experiencing vision problems. Hmm. So, you know, I started to notice I'd walk into a room and my uh, switching from bright to dark was really becoming an issue. So I walk in and I was a service tech. So I walk into to somebody's house and it's bright daylight. I walk into the house and I got to stand there for a few minutes. And the person like, well, what's the matter? So I got to let my eyes adjust. Right, uh, right. And then one, once they adjusted, it was good. And then I go from the, you know, let's say the first floor down into the basement where it's dark. And I'm at the same spot again. It's like, wait, this can't be right. So I went to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you, you know, you have uh, retinitis pigmentosa. I was like, oh, okay. So, and he said it so nonchalantly. It was like, oh, all right. I thought it was like floaters, you know? Yep. So he said, see me in a year. And I did. Uh, but within that year's time, my vision really started to change. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I went back to him and said, listen, you know, now bright lights hurt me. And, you know, uh, I, my night vision is really is almost gone. Um, and he says, I told you, you have retinitis pigmentosa. So I looked at it. I was like, I, I researched it. I was like, oh my goodness, I have a chance of losing my eyesight. And, and which was the first time I was really aware that the situation was as bad as it was. Right. Um, and, and, and then, of course, uh, I went to several, several uh, specialists, retina specialists, and a few in Manhattan, one in Detroit. Uh, and the one in Detroit had told me, he goes, this is because of the trauma to the eyes. So when the eyes receive such a trauma like this, your immune system wants to fix it. And because the flash had scarred my retina, 
the immune system said, let me get rid of the scar. But instead, it got rid of the retina. Interesting. So, hmm. Yeah. So it kept eating away, eating away, eating away until, you know, to today where I have almost no vision at all. Uh, he, um, you know, it just totally continued to de decrease, 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 decrease. Uh, and some days it was faster than others. So one, like, for instance, I would travel into Manhattan a lot and um, I would walk through, let's say Penn station. And then I, the, the next week I come back is like, wait a second, I was able to see this last week. What happened? You know? Mm. And so that's how I was actually able to notice the decrease in vision. And, and it just continued, continued, continued. Uh, I ended up getting a CNI dog, um, which I still have. And, and she's a tremendous help, tremendous help for me. Sure. Um, and during this whole time, you know, um, here I am, I'm, I'm actually grieving the loss of my sight. I'm dealing with, you know, how do I continue to, to afford living on Long Island and paying the bills and raising the family? So I, I started to set my schedule accordingly. So after three, four o'clock in the afternoon, I had to be home. You know, right. I, I didn't want to work in the, you know, travel in the dark, travel when it was getting dusk and traveling even in, in bad weather. So uh, and, and that became worse. So at some point I decided, you know what, I, I can't even drive anymore because I'm afraid not to just hurt myself. But what if I hurt somebody else? You know, and, and then they turn around and say, well, dude, you had vision issues. Why didn't you get take yourself off the road? You know, you're guilty of. <laughs> you know, God forbid something serious. Sure. You know, uh, so I, I, I had to do that. And that was the hardest thing for me to do is give up my independence and, uh, and give up my traveling, my, my, my driving. So, um, and I continue to run my business. And at that point, my, my boys were starting to become old enough to work with me. So they worked with me, they would drive, they would almost be my eyes to, to some extent. I was still had pretty usable vision. Uh, and, and then, uh, what do you call it? Got to the point where my boys were growing up. They were living their own life. They had their own careers. It was a little difficult for me to, you know, always count on them. So I was counting on other people. You know, I would count on my brother-in-law to come and help me and work with me. And 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 that worked for uh, for a while. But again, these people all had their own lives. They all had their own jobs. And and most of my customers knew me, so it wasn't wasn't an issue with them. So they were very aware that, you know, I had loss of vision. I was losing my vision. I had worked for uh, a lot of churches. I did a lot of installs in, in churches and they were the best. You know, they were really very, very accommodating and very understanding. So uh, those customers actually stayed with me my whole time now. You know, they, they, they understand. They, they knew what was going on. They, you know, um, and they were not, not so much impressed, but they were happy that I was continuing to move forward, you know, and, and not allowing the disability to, to control my life. You know, I was controlling the, the disability within my life, you know, right, uh, right. doing doing everything I was able to do and 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 so forth. But getting back now, we you know, here I am. I'm in the martial arts. My boys are in the martial arts. I, I'm found out once I started like two years later, I found out about this retinitis pigmentosa. So I said to myself, well, you know what? I'm going to start to see or feel what it feels like not to be able to see it. So, and that's how I used to train. I used to close my eyes and work with the, my partners. And um, so I could feel the technique and then I would open my eyes and say, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to have to do. This is what I'm not doing. And then readjust and, and, and so forth. And I did the same thing uh, with my cane. I would take my cane, my walking cane, prior to getting the dog, 
and I walked through them in hand and I closed my eyes and I, I tried to navigate my way and, and, you know, see what it is that I'm hitting. And then when I hit something and I didn't understand it, I didn't get a picture in my head, I'd open my eyes. Oh, that's what that is. So then I would know, okay, next time I, I hit that, I know that's what this is and, and how to navigate around it uh, and so forth. And one thing I did notice that, especially in Manhattan, when you walk through the streets, you know, you're, you're walking with a, a ton of people. Traffic, pedestrian traffic is everywhere. Sure. If I stood still for more than 10 minutes, somebody would stop and say, you okay? You need help? You know, can I, can I can you give you a hand? And, and it, it, it reassured me that it all was good. So I was able to, to go with that confidence that if I did need help, all I got to do is, you know, reach out and, and even speak out and say, hey, listen, I need some help. I'm blind. Can somebody give me a hand? You know, and somebody would always be there, whether it was a guy, a girl, a woman, a child. You know, uh, it was always somebody, somebody, even, you know, police officers, of course, uh, would always be, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm a police officer, you know, what's up? You need help? And, and then I just, you know, oh, yeah, come here, I'll help you out. You know, and, and it was, you know, it was great. It was comforting knowing that, you know, here I am, not not alone kind, kind of situation. So uh, once I did that with the cane and then my vision was decreasing so rapidly, I, I went from like one day able to see um, the, the highway signs, read the highway signs to not even be able to see them. Mm-hmm. So uh, and then the same thing with the bus. I could see the bus one week and then the following week is like, wow, where's that bus? I can't even see the bus. Right. You know, so. So it was it was kind of traumatic at times. I, I wouldn't say traumatic. That's kind of a hard word, but it was scary. You know, it, it was it was difficult to, to grasp and to hold on to, you know. Uh, and then I uh, again, because I was into martial arts and I've always uh, my, my whole life, my family has always been spiritual, you know, a spiritual family. Like I said, I grew up in Catholic Catholic settings, Catholic school settings. I was an altar boy growing up. I served mass, you know, at least two, three times a week. I, I knew all the prayers. I knew all, all, all the, you know, the movements and and so forth. And so I always had that belief in God and, and you know, that everything's going to work out. And I always meditated as well. So one day during meditation, I was sitting there meditating, thinking, you know, what can I do? What can I, you know, where is this going to take me uh, and who can I help? You know, uh, there's got to be a reason for, for what's going on here. And the, the thought came to my mind. So why don't you just share your experiences and teach what you know? And so I'm thinking, well, I can't teach electricity to blind people. Right. And I can't teach, you know, the alarm systems because there's, there's too much uh, detail to it. You know, there's a lot of drilling, there's a lot of uh, snaking lines and wiring and so forth. And um, so, but then I said, you know what, I've been in the martial arts now almost 10 years. I said, let me, let's do that. Let me, let me push that. And, and I talked to my sister, my younger sister about it. And she says, why don't we start a program? So we said, all right, yeah, let's, let's try it. And we did. And we named it third eye insight for the, for the same reason that, you know, the, the third eye, which is the sixth chakra in your body, uh, you know, it sits between your eyebrows and the center of your forehead. That's where we get our insight from. That's where we get our intuition from. That's where we could get uh, messages from. So that's that's exactly what we did. We started the program, and at that time, I went from different organizations, uh, from one organization to the other. I went to Helen Keller. I went to Silo. I went to the Commission for the Blind. I went to the Lighthouse just to see 
what's out there. Uh, and um, we traveled into the city, into Visions is another program in the city. I uh, hooked up with them. Um, and then we decided that, you know what, let's just start it. And I, I was talking to my martial arts instructor and I told him this is what I want to do. And he goes, oh, great. You, why don't you do that here? And I says, well, uh, what I would like to do is I like to give it for free uh, because, you know, most people who are blind are either on dis, uh, disability uh, SSDI or, um, you know, very low income. So he says, I told him I wanted to do it for free. And he says, don't worry. Just, you know, do it and have it and do it here. Sure. And, um, so we've been there since, you know, since 2010, I've been uh, holding third eye insight classes. Uh, we, we gave it away for free for six years. Uh, and then uh, because, you know, we went to nonprofit and we had to have insurance and, you know, we had all kinds of expenses. We just weren't able to continue to afford it out of our pocket. So we uh, we went to fee based. And even then, you know, it was like twenty dollars a class, twenty dollars, not a class, twenty dollars a month. Hmm. And it still didn't make the bills, you know. Right. Uh, and so, you know, we continued it that way anyway. Uh, we decided that um, we were actually we were about to raise the pricing uh, when COVID hit. So you know that shut us down for a couple of years. So we we got back to uh, working out and training. I guess uh, last September we went back. Oh, I'm sorry, last May we went back. So almost a year now. Mm. And uh, so yeah, so we, we we had to raise our prices in order to pay our bills. Uh, which I'm so happy that our students stayed with us. Uh, they continue to come to class every week. And uh, during this whole time, you know, it wasn't just the martial arts. It was like, well, what else can I do as a blind person? What else is out there for me? You know, uh, I, I, I was very active, so I wanted to do other things. I wanted to stay active. And I got a, uh, I found a, a stable horse, horseback riding stable that would accommodate us. Wow. So we, we got a program together and we got a group together, I should say. Uh, and we've been with them since. So <laughs> that, that, that's that been about 11, 12 years as well. Uh, and every year they, they accommodate us. We, we, we go, they, they, you know, have a, a lead and, and, and a, a, to lead us around and, and somebody to trail behind us. Uh, and we take the trails and uh, it, that, that worked very well. I, I hooked up with the local YMCA and I had told them, you know, I want to do a program for the blind. Would they be able to accommodate us? And they did. They, mm -hmm. uh, they, they hooked us up with a water aerobics class, which, oh, wow. uh, which was great. <laughs> Very cool. and, and again, we're, we're still with them. Uh, and they, uh, after that, yeah, I approached the director again. I said, listen, this is fantastic. Is there anything else we can do? So we uh, tried out a spin class, a stationary bike. And... Uh, we're still there with that program as well. So, and all of the staff in the YMCA, I, I, I got to tell you, they are just super fantastic. You know, they, they accommodate us, they help us, they, you know, attentive to our needs. They, you know, they're not holding our hands and telling us, okay, watch this, watch that. They, they're there, you know, and, and if we need them, they're, they're there to support us. So they, they allow us to grow. And they allow us to to bump into the walls, you know, because yeah, hey, listen, you got to learn, right? It's gonna happen. You know, yep. It's gonna happen. Here's the wall, you know. Use your stick, you know. Use your guide, or uh, and you know, I use my dog, so she's she's pretty good. So you know, she knows the routine. And one of my buddies, uh, he would come in his dog as well, and you know, the same thing. And you know, he just tell the dog find the door, and the dog 
dog would take him to the dog. You know, right. so and, and that's what influenced me on getting a dog because I watched him and I was like, dude, that is so cool. That dog works so well for you. And um, so that's why why I got my my dog. And um, yeah, so then after that, we 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 added on a skiing. Uh, we went uh, a snow skiing in Vermont as an adaptive program. A, a Vermont adaptive um, ski program. Sure. And we, we, we did that and, and this is all blind. So, you know, they, they give you two, two guides, actually three guides, one in front of you and two on the sides hmm. or the one behind you and two on the sides. And the guy behind you is the guy giving you directions. So, you know, he'll tell you, okay, turn left and you turn left and it, the guides on the sides are there to make sure you don't run into the trees. Okay. So then he said, okay, turn right. And then you turn right. And, you know, and you're going down the hill. Now you're going down. I, in my mind, I'm going down there pretty fast. <laughs> right. You know, it wasn't a steep hill or anything, but it, you know, you could feel the wind, you could hear the breeze. You could, you know, hear the people around you. And I'm thinking, Oh, when's he going to tell me to turn? I must go to get close to the trees. I'm getting close to the trees. And then he say, okay, turn. And then you turn and it's like, Oh, geez. Okay, good. And then you go back the same way. It's like, Oh, when's he going to tell me to turn? When's he going to, you know, so it was a little, uh, hair, hair raising and sure. you know, a lot of, a lot of things that we talk about in the martial arts is, is martial arts is you got to step out of your comfort zone. And, and that was stepping out of the comfort zone, you know, uh, trusting somebody else to, uh, you know, to guide you, uh, and depending on yourself to, to be, you know, alert and aware and receptive and, 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 you know, challenging your, your, um, uh, what do you call it? Challenging your, your, your instincts and, and the feelings of, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I shouldn't be doing this. And yet you're doing it anyway, you know, yep. and you're safe, you know, and, and you're safe. So, you know, we, we, we've gone up there, up there quite a few times since then, uh, and then a couple of times it, it, we couldn't go up there because of weather, you know, they just didn't have the snow um, and, and, or it was just too icy to, to be on the, on the slopes. So then from there, we, we, we launched out, we went surfing. We found a surfing group out here on Long Island in Long Beach. We, uh, we found a sailing group here in Oyster Bay. Wow. We uh, do tandem, uh, tandem bike riding, which we originally started in Manhattan uh, and then we decided, you know what, let's do it ourselves. And what happened was uh, a few years back, one of the bike manufacturers had a um, an event for twins. So they brought 100 tandem bike rides to supply 100 pair of twins for this bike ride. Hmm. And, and then once they did that, they had 100 bikes. And they were like, now, what do we do with all these bikes? You know, do we take them back and try to sell them? So what they did is they offered them to the, the adaptive programs. And we were able to we purchase six of those bikes, uh, maybe seven of those bikes. We sold a couple of them, which made up for our, our cost. So we almost got four bikes for free, pretty much. Wow. Um, and every year we hold our own tandem bike ride event. And that, that event holds or brings in maybe 60, 70 people um majority visually impaired and um the rest are volunteers so every year this program has grown and grown and and you know people look forward to it and you know then we, we did charter fishing we went on a, on a charter boat and you know we, we just continue to build and and do all these things that are safe um and doable and challenging and 
uh, you know, let people experience, you know, or the wind in their hair, so to say, you yep, know, yep. Uh, and, and to, to be part of what, you know, mainstream is a part of, you know, and, and that's pretty much what, it, what it's like. And then I also feel like when people see people who are disabled or challenged, physically challenged doing things, it, it kind of motivates them as well. You know, you turn around and say, wow, that guy can do it. I can do it. And look at that guy. He's not afraid to do it. Why, why should I be afraid to do it? You know, right. um, and, and so whether you know it or not, you, you're, you're an influence to people, even if you don't know them, you know, just even walking down the street, you, you know, somebody looks at you and go, oh my goodness, look at this. I can't believe this guy's navigating his way around with nobody, you know, and, and he's doing great. He's, you know, he's doing, the, he's, doing <laughs> he's doing well. So um, I, I think that's a big part of uh, moving forward. You know, uh, you take a challenge. You, everyone, everybody has a challenge. We're all going to have challenges. And it's how you deal with these challenges and, and you know, where you go with those challenges. And, and there's times when, of course, you grieve and you, you, you feel bad for yourself. You feel sorry or pity for yourself. And why me? You know, we all ask those same questions. For sure. Um, but yet, you know, you can only dwell there for a little while. You can't dwell on these issues, you know, uh, because that doesn't serve you at all. Uh, you just have to move forward and, and look at the positive things that you can do. So, you know, even if it's little things and the little things become big things. So, you know, I continue to, to work. I continue to uh, put stuff together and, and build things. And, and people are like, I can't believe you did that. So, well, <laughs> it, it's, it's in my head. It's already in my head. It's, I see it in my mind. So I, I don't always have to physically see it, you know, uh, but I know it's what it is. I know what I'm holding. I know what I'm touching. I know what should be in front of me. Uh, and of course, times that's when you need that sight. You need somebody with, with vision to say, yeah, you know, it's over to your left a little bit. There it is, you know, or, you know, um, in, in, in the alarm business, everything is color coded. So, and in fact, if you know electrical, you know, you have the your white wires, the neutral, the hot leg is the black leg and, you know, the red and so forth. And so you, I need somebody to tell me which color is which. Right. Because uh, I don't want to short something out when I'm wiring something and, um, and I have another issue on top of that. Uh, so, yeah, so that's how um, I, I deal with it. And that's how I, I try to uh, present it to, to my students and to, to, Anybody we speak to, you know, any groups I'm, we talk to and, uh, you know, it's all about what's within you. The potential within you is there. You just have to bring it out. You have to allow it to come out. You, 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 if you suppress something, it doesn't do you any good. It, it, it actually hurts you. You know, uh, if I, I were to sit around all day and say, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. That's just hurting me spiritually. You know, sure. It, it, and, and in my opinion, you know, the spirit is the, the, the whole thing. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm here for a reason. I'm here to, to, to live a life that I'm given. Uh, deal, you know, uh, what's the saying? Um, work with the cards you dealt with. That's right. So, and I'm going to be the best I can be with the conditions and challenges I have. So, uh, and every day I look at it that way and I look at it like, who can I help? You know, what's going to happen today? I can't wait to see what good is going to happen today. You know, I'm not worried about, oh, this may happen. That may happen. I don't care about any of that because it's under, not under my control. So I can only control me and, and my thoughts and, and how I look at and perceive 
you know, things around me. Right. That's such a great attitude. And so many people just in general, you know, sighted or visually impaired don't have it. So that's, that's such a great message. Yeah. 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 And again, we're, you know, well, I was just on a, on a call the other day and it was a support group. We're talking to each other and uh, we have all have different challenges. And um, we were talking about how even the disabled community treats the disabled community. True. You know, um, I had a situation in Manhattan where the, the assessor ride, which is a uh, paratransit bus was looking to pick me up and I'm on the corner and they couldn't find me. And I told the driver, listen, this is what I'm wearing. I got my dog with me, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I passed you. I got to come back. So it takes to go around the block, maybe 10, 15 minutes to go around the block. It's not just a, you know, around the block and here I am. Right. Um, and when I got on the bus, there's a woman like, you should not be by yourself. I said, excuse me? Says, you should not be by yourself. You need somebody. I said, no, I don't. I don't need anybody. You know, I'm, I'm here. You know, this is me. I'm doing what I'm doing. And this is it, you know. But yeah. I was taken back by the fact that her attitude was that, of that. You know, it's like, ah, you know, that's not healthy. That's not good. And if I were to listen to her, I could have been upset that day. You know, maybe I was upset that day and, and she just made it worse. You know? Right. You know, I could have been like, oh, this bus is not going to find me. I'm stuck here by myself. Where am I? And and then I get on the bus and have to hear it from somebody else who's disabled. Oh, you shouldn't be out there. Oh, no, you're right. I shouldn't be out here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and allow, allow it to, to continue to, to affect me, you know. But, it, you know, it, it's just what's in people's heads. And, you know, and I think I, I pretty much inconvenienced her because she had an appointment. And oh, you know, I see. They, they, they were going around and around looking for me. And she was like, I have to point. I have to be somewhere. I have to be somewhere. So that's probably why she was upset. Right. But, uh, right. But yeah, that's such a great point that, uh, you know, you'd think we'd all support each other in the, the disability community, but yet there are bad apples everywhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. As far as uh, your guide dog, definitely wanted to ask a little more about her as far as which school she's from, her name, breed, just anything you'd like to mention. Sure. Sure. So when I first started to apply for the guide dog, I was, again, a little leery. Do I need a dog? Do I want a dog? I know it's a big responsibility. I decided I applied only, actually, I applied two places. I applied in Smithtown Guide Dog Foundation, which is out here in Smithtown, New York, on Long Island. And I applied at Fidelco. I was accepted to both programs. And I, I, I wanted a German Shepherd. So, hmm. and my, my opinion is that a German Shepherd is more of an intimidating dog, okay, um, in people's eyes. Because people look at a German Shepherd and say, oh, that could be a guard dog. That could be a, a, a military dog. could be a police dog. It could be any of those things. And so it, the German Shepherds almost have a reputation before they you even meet, meet the dog, you know. Uh, and I, I mentioned it to them, and they, they turned around and said, uh, well, we have one dog that's a Shepherd Collie mix. Um, and she's very active, very high, strong dog. She needs somebody who's very active and able to control her and, and give her enough energy, uh, enough work to expel her energy. So I, I said, would you like to meet her? And I said, sure. So she brought it down. They brought him down and I met the dog and the dog's name is Skittles. So, uh, and, and I'm guessing the reason is because she's, um, she's like multicolored. She's, um, She's brown, you know, primarily brown. And she, when we, we have a groom, you can see blue and gray and 
uh, these other colors in, underneath her coat, you know, that you really don't see when her hair is long. So um, I said, you know what? I called Fidelco and Fidelco says, we have no idea when we're going to have a dog for you. I was like, oh, okay, well, uh, I, this dog is available. Let me take it. So I did. And uh, I, you know, I'm super happy I did, of course. Uh, we, I went to class in Smithtown. I did a two-week stay over, uh, stay on campus, and they train you there. And uh, at the time, that was a short stay because most of the time was three or four-week stay at, at, on the campus. And what they did with me is I did my two weeks, and then the third week, the trainer came to me. Oh, and I see. We, we would travel into the city. You know, we taught the dog the, the railroad and uh, the subways and, uh, you know, all, all the stuff that I, I needed the dog to know to do. And at, this, at that time, I still had some usable sight. So I was still able to guide the dog and, and you know, tell what the dog was doing and, and you know, correct her if, if needed. And now they, they had mentioned to me, you know, it takes about a year to build a relationship with your dog, you know, sure. a bond. And, and they were right. They were absolutely right. And there's times then that after that, that I would be amazed at what the dog would do. You know, uh, she would, na uh, again, navigate me to a crowded Penn Station. I mean, people everywhere bumping into you and, and she would just in and out, in and out, take me right to where I needed to be. Um, or I get off the, the railroad and tell, okay, let's find the E train. And she'd come up to the platform and um, the, the main level and, and, and take me right to the E train, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and because we had did it so often, she knew the pattern. Uh, so, uh, and then again, COVID hit, that kind of slowed down, that stopped, all that traveling stopped. Um, and, uh, and what do you call it? So now that we're primarily on Long Island, doing a, a, a thing here on the island uh, and now that COVID is hopefully contained we'll, we'll return back into Manhattan and do our, our routines back in Manhattan. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and you know walking her in the neighborhoods I we have different kinds of roads here so some roads are sidewalked and then there's some roads that have no sidewalk so we're out in the street and uh, you know she navigates me in and out and then there's times when the sidewalk is all broken or there's a tree limb hanging low, she'll stop and I got to figure out why, you know, I'll feel my feet or, or use my stick and feel above me. Oh, there's a branch right there that was just about to hit me in the face, Yo. you know, and, and, you know, so I trust her so much now uh, that I, I don't even think about the walk. I just do it. And, and, you know, I hold on and I feel where she's going with the harness. So, and then sometimes she'll, you know, she'll make a quick step to the left and I'll go left and then she'll make a quick step back to the right and I'll go right. And I'm thinking people must look at me and think I'm drunk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm back and forth. But meanwhile, the dog is navigating around something that was in the street you know, or on the sidewalk. Yep. So, um, but yeah, she, uh, she's been a blessing. And now, unfortunately, she is uh, coming into her 10th year of work. And they tell you that, around this time is when you start thinking about retiring the dog. Although, um, like I said, I take her out and she is so on point still. Uh, and she, she's a strong dog. She pretty much pulls me around the block. You know, sure. and I got to, I got to control her and tell her, all right, back up, back, slow down, slow down. Uh, and she does. And, you know, we, we and then there's times when I, I want to walk fast, you know, we, we'll do it like a pace walk and, and right. you know, build up cardio and, and a sweat. So we'll, we'll do that. 
And um, so I'm, I'm still leery about, and I have applied for Fidelco again. Um, and I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm torn between, I feel like I'm cheating on her by getting another dog. <laughs> and I, I tell other people who've done it and have gone through it and they tell me the same thing. He says, you know, it's hard. It's hard to put, you know, take a dog out of work. Right. And some of them have actually told me that, you know, they get ready to go to work and go out and their new dog is ready to go. And so is the old dog. You know, the old dog wants to get in the harness and go and you, yeah. you got to tell the dog, no, no, no. Yo. You know, and, and then she becomes the pet. And they said, eventually the dog will know her role is over, you know, her job is over. Uh, but I still feel, you know, I feel bad about that. Sure. Sure. Definitely a tough thing that a lot of people go through. Um, so before we do wrap up here, just want to say, you know, really hand it to you and applaud you on third eye insight and just such a variety of programs and sports and activities that you guys are doing there. Uh, really amazing. And if, if anyone listening is interested in getting involved or just learning more about the organization, uh, how can they do that? Okay. Yeah, sure. So uh, my email address is senseidevin.thirdiinsight, all spelled out, at gmail.com. And sensei is S is in Sam, E, N is in Nancy, S is in Sam, E, I is in India, D-E-V-I-N dot senseidevin dot thirdiinsight. Uh, my website is thirdiinsight. Uh, dot org. Uh, my phone number, if you wanted to reach out and speak to me, is 631-445-3464. Perfect. Of course, we're on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook page, the same thing, Third Eye Insight. Um, yeah, so we uh, continue to grow, can continue to build our program, continue to serve I think that's the, the big word there. We continue to serve uh, anybody who needs or wants advice or, you know, or wants to come try out the program. They're always welcome. Uh, and, and if I can help anybody else, I, I'm happy to do so. Fantastic. And I'll definitely include all that info in the show notes as well uh, so people can easily access that, that info. All right. So again, our guest on this episode has been Sensei Devin Fernandez. And Devin, thanks so much for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation. And once again, you know, congratulations. And just I'm so happy for everything that you've gotten to do through this this amazing organization. And uh, you know, keep up the great work. Great. Thank you so much, Greg. I appreciate you uh, having me on and sharing my story. And uh, maybe we can help others along the way. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.